0: Long
1: haired weirdos, short haired weirdos, government the government the government the government the government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey Jay, how are you doing? Um, I, I got nothing
0: this morning. I'm yeah.
1: sorry. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. I've got nothing this what morning week, as yeah. well. But uh, anyway, before we do get going with what we do have, we'd like to thank our newest Patreon supporters, uh, Jesus and James. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. When you're a supporter, of course, you get that second full-length episode every week and ad-free versions of all of our episodes and other things at various levels of support to check it all out patreon.com slash politics and if you would like that bonus show and you can't afford at this point to support the show totally understandable just send me an email mikeypoliticsguys.com and i will get you all set up and as always if a monthly pledge is too much of a commitment uh there's also patreon and also now venmo we're at politicsguys. you can find all that on the website all right. So, Jake, you know, before we get to what we will be talking about today, I felt like I should say something about what we won't be talking about today, which is sort of uh, there's a lot. We won't be talking there's a lot about, of things. Yeah. yeah. But, but two it. things in particular, uh, I, I think like a lot of Americans, I've been following the the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, but, you know, that's still at a point where I, I'm sure we will be talking about it when there is a verdict. But at this point, it seems, I think, a little premature to talk about it. But we will, again, be talking about it when there is a verdict. I'm, I'm sure we will. And then secondly, the Matt Gates allegations, and there's all kinds of stuff there. And I am itching to talk about that and <laughs> just have to hold myself back because he's one of those people who represents to me almost everything that is wrong about politics these days and i don't get the sense that you're a fan of the matt gates fan club Perhaps either. everything that's wrong about
0: humanity but yeah, yeah exactly
1: uh, he seems like an odious human being uh but but you know again we have to give him that presumption of of innocence you can be an icky person and still get that present in fact it's most important for icky human beings i would argue but Depending on what happens there, because, of course, while there are allegations, there has not been anything confirmed about uh, an investigation from official sources, and also there hasn't been anything like an indictment. And if that does happen, we'll talk about it, but we're not really going to get into – rumors at this point or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think right. you agree with me on that. I so. do. I do. That's that's the responsible way to go. All right. Well, every once in a while, we like to try that and see what happens. <laughs> so but uh, uh, why don't I just kind of turn things over to you then for the things that we actually will be talking about this week? Right. Well, first off
0: is the Biden infrastructure plan. Uh, he announced this last week it totals 2.3 trillion dollars uh that's with a t um and it, it breaks down uh like this essentially 600 billion i'm using kind of rounded off numbers mike uh 620 billion uh for uh, uh, transportation infrastructure uh 174 billion for uh, electric uh, vehicle um, subsidies uh this would also include uh five hundred thousand electric vehicle charging stations throughout the country um, roughly uh two hundred eighty six billion uh for building repair um, uh three hundred billion for this is the interesting one i think is uh semiconductor uh tech uh i guess the way that we we phrase it as as business uh development but uh, a lot of it to support a a a uh US semiconductor industry. Um and and then some other oh gosh. Uh There's a lot
1: in there. I four mean, a 3
0: billion clean energy I could I could go on Mike, but uh but you get the gist. Um the the plan would be paid for and again, these uh, specifics haven't been ironed out. Uh but by moving the corporate tax from 21% up to 28% Uh, This is essentially reversal of of the tax, the Trump uh, uh, tax reform uh, as to corporate taxes. Uh, There would also be some some form of uh, higher uh, income, uh, personal income tax. Um, uh, The number Biden floats is four hundred thousand dollars a year. It's unclear if that's per person or per couple um, uh, or exactly how it's going to play out. But um, in Biden's words, it's it's um, uh, this is not a plan that. uh, trifles around the edges <laughs> that 's for sure uh, so so right, wh- where do we go uh here i think and oh, I, I should add that at, at this point um, republicans are are uh, fairly unanimous in uh, uh, opposing um, this as being uh overly big uh and and not uh particularly targeted or targeted the wrong place but yeah, I
1: think Mitch McConnell said something about it, basically being this socialist, radical, you know, agenda kind of thing, turn us into Finland or I don't know, Finland or anything. But, but, you know, I, I, I think we can both agree that this plan definitely doesn't trifle around the edges. So let's start with yeah. that. Um, and to me, I looked through all of the various categories you talked about, did some of my own calculations. And it seems to me that of, of this, of all this spending, I would say that around, actually a bit under a third of it is what I would call real infrastructure or traditional Infrastructure spending and the rest of the stuff is sort of like uh, infrastructure in quotes, if you will, you know? Yes. know, um, but I, I would also say that in making that calculation, for instance, I considered the electric grid and broadband to be part of real infrastructure. That's not traditional infrastructure, which is just kind of like roads and bridges and electric and, and ports and that sort of thing. But I think you would you would probably agree with me that in twenty twenty one uh broadband would be real infrastructure at this point.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. I I would. I should have I should have mentioned that because that is something that that's a little different than what we think of uh, in terms of you know roads and bridges and so yeah, forth.
1: Yeah, hundred billion dollars. That's that's not that's certainly not nothing, right? And uh, it, it reminded me I, I, there were some of the uh, uh, current suppliers saying, well, people don't really need that kind of access and that sort of thing. And you know that's that's, that's overkill. And it reminded me of uh, Bill Gates. This might be apocryphal, saying apocryphal yeah, saying in 1981 that 640k of memory should be enough for anyone and you know, at the time, that sort of thing is true. But you build infrastructure for the economy you're envisioning in the future, and you know, I, you can, we can certainly see a future with uh, uh, you know holographic, virtual meetings and that sort of thing. And having that kind of fiber access would be pretty important for that sort of thing. It's probably on my mind because this week we actually switched from kind of copper cable to high speed fiber, and wow, talk about a talk about a difference! Uh, really eye opening, uh, but. You know, I think it's fair to say, as many Republicans say, that, well, this is much more than an infrastructure bill. And they're stretching the idea of infrastructure beyond what's reasonably considered infrastructure. And I would I would agree with that, actually. But to me, that's because of the politics of this. And the politics of this is pretty straightforward. Is that I think the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress think that they will before the midterms they will be able to get through three pieces of legislation all under reconciliation because that's only they can only do basically three reconciliation bills and they yep. already have that the first one's been done that was covid the second one is infrastructure in quotes part 1 and the third one is infrastructure in real quotes part <laughs> 2 which is coming up and so that's that's the calculation they want to call it infrastructure and a big part of it certainly is infrastructure at least in this bill. And so the political calculation makes sense, but I would agree that calling it an infrastructure bill when the majority of it is not traditional infrastructure, that's that is a stretch.
0: Yeah. Well and it's it's sort of what I mean it's it's not unexpected though, right? No. I mean there's there's a there is broad public support when you say something like, hey are you in favor of infrastructure? Everybody says sure. And um that's that's something that can typically be bipartisan
1: um and and not uh, only that but i mean we definitely have a serious situation when it comes to infrastructure. For instance, yeah. since 2007, total public spending on infrastructure down by around $10 billion. Uh, and right now, the United States spends right around 2.3% of GDP on infrastructure. Uh, to give you a sense of where, that kind of where that kind of stands, well, China's infrastructure spending is around 10 times higher than in the u.s and if you kind of take a look at some international comparisons we're not doing such a great job and a lot of our infrastructure of course is pretty old uh and uh, i i think that that's part of the reason for the bipartisan agreement there's a very clear need for this sort of thing yeah well i mean I, i i again i think
0: you're right in terms of the roads and bridges type arguments um it gets a little tougher when you get to 174 billion to um, uh, for electric vehicles, right? I mean, that's that is more a that is more a subsidy to uh, industry. That is a a check to Elon Musk um, essentially. And uh, you know, based on the what I what I would refer to as kind of the pretty unscientific notion that um, this will help with climate change. Um, that that I think I mean I think Republicans would be able to take aim at going into this. Um but well, I, I think yeah. the the problem is there there's not going to be I don't think there's going to be much much compromise on this.
1: I, I think right? I, you don't I, have the number. I, I would I would entirely disagree with the with, with the idea that it's unscientific to say that electric vehicles uh aren't a major component of Climate change, or at least helping to mitigate the effects, but that's that's a very different conversation. But I, I I did want to say that because I'm sure that listeners, some listeners would say, why is it that you let Jay get away with saying that? I'll get just point out that. that I completely disagree with that, but that's a very different conversation. And when, when there is, uh, you know, when we're talking more specifically about climate change legislation, I'm sure we'll we'll get into that. But, uh, All right. but yeah. But, you know, another part, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go I was going to say another part of this is when we take a look at how we traditionally fund infrastructure, one big part of it is the federal gas tax. And that's Right now, it's at 18.4 cents per gallon for regular, 24.4 for diesel. That hasn't been raised in over a quarter of a century, and it's not indexed for inflation. And that's a that's a big problem. That's part of the reason why our infrastructure is in such, at least roads, is in such bad shape. But another problem that a lot of folks have with it, especially on the left, is it's not an ideal way to raise funds because it's not only is it regressive, but it hurts rural drivers more who have to go longer distances, and so it's prob- it's a problematic way to pay for road improvements. Uh, but even that problematic way hasn't been increased in uh, a lot a lot of years. Well, the, the problem it's, it's
0: problematic for the left because they're sort of looking at a a uh, tax base that they want to eliminate. Right, <laughs> that's the other that's the other thing. Right. Um, if you're going to have more and more electric vehicles, uh, uh, you can uh, expect that and, and you want to pay for that with with the gas tax, uh, at least partially. Um, you you sort of have a, a diminishing uh, tax base if you're successful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as cars get more fuel efficient, that becomes, yeah, that, that's less of a that's not really a direction that is going to provide right. the sort of funding you need over time because of the switch from from gas to electric vehicles. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I I would say another, another problem with this legislation is because it has to go through the reconciliation process. One of the rules of reconciliation is that anything that qualifies can't be projected to increase the deficit after 10 years. And that, that becomes hugely problematic because I I do want to, I definitely want to talk about the tax hike part of it. Now, in 2017, the Republican tax cuts lowered the corporate tax rate from 35 percent to 21 percent. And I think a lot of people agreed that 35 percent was too high. And I was one of those people who agreed with that. Now, under the Biden proposal, it would raise it up to 28 percent. So still lower than it was pre-2017, but higher than it is now. And to get to get a sense, to give people a sense of where that where that stands, the average corporate tax rate for the G seven countries, the seven largest economies, essentially is twenty seven point two four percent. Right now, the U S. at twenty one percent is the second lowest. If you want to compare us to China and India to other huge economies, uh, China's corporate tax rate is twenty five percent. India is twenty five percent. And to me, actually, I think twenty five percent would be a, a pretty good a pretty good level to to set this at. I'm for boosting that rate. I think that the 2017 cuts went too low, but I think 28% is too high. But again, there's that problem with reconciliation, because if you don't take that in and higher corporate taxes or some way, well, that means you're going to have to borrow more and then that could potentially violate the reconciliation rules, which is why I hate the reconciliation process in the first place. Right. Um, But what do you think? I wanted to ask you what you thought about the about the tax increase part and and what you think about, you know, where we are internationally in our corporate tax. You know,
0: I I think if if you look back at uh, the Trump tax reforms and Trump tax cuts, if you want to call them that, um, it's and you and I agreed agreed on this back in the day, the um, cutting the corporate tax to prevent uh, corporate inversions, to prevent uh, companies from fleeing the U.S. Um, was a, a smart policy, and it had uh, some pretty substantial results. Uh, that you had a lot of companies that that came back uh, to America. You had a lot of uh, cash that had been kept offshore because if they brought the cash back, I mean you, you could still they could still hold the money in in overseas subsidiaries, but if they uh, repatriated it, um, then you got taxed on it. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's it's in the terms of, of trillions of dollars, right, of, of money that flowed back into the U.S. No, economy. No,
1: actually, that's not the case. The number of, that's not the number case at all. No, no, no. Tell well, me no, what, no. What is the case. No, I'm what saying is, there were benefits, but I'm saying that the loss in revenue was not nearly paid for by the cuts, as uh, many Republicans claimed it would at the time. But economists well, have both, both the right I, and that's that's
0: the left. That's, that's no, not what I'm just, claiming. No, it
1: sounded like you said trillions yeah. came in, but actually it lost more in – lost revenue and maybe that's okay if you want less money coming in. I just wanted to make make sure that no we-
0: no no its no where where you you misunderstand me i'm a trillions coming into uh the United States to United States companies right that be had not the u s government I see what money, you money that had be, had formerly been parked off seas uh, offshore because uh you didn't want to be taxed on it now. Companies could bring those profits back and, you know, it wasn't money going to the government, it was going to companies. Um, but they used it to do things like hire people, um, you know, <laughs> improve their operations and in in uh, many cases, as the numbers showed, increase wages. So, and, and to me, that's, you know, you can say, well, look, it's, it's, it's a, a, a loss because we're not getting as much tax revenue as we used to. Um, well, Yes and no, but are are more people being employed? Are more people making money? Uh, you know, are are stock prices going up? Um, you know, all these all these other things where there is money accruing to to Americans, uh, and I think it's it's a bigger thing of, of money uh, accruing to actual people than as opposed to the government. So
1: that's that's what I meant by trillions yeah. coming back. But just to be clear, you you would not be in favor of, for instance, a corporate tax rate of zero percent. No, I think
0: that's, I think that would be, uh, be over the top. And I think, look, taxes are the price we pay for civilization, right? It's what Oliver Wendell Holmes said, um, but you don't want
1: to overpay for civilization. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I mean, there are, there are some radical proposals, legitimately radical, not in political terms, legitimately radical proposals about, you know, a corporate tax rate of 50 percent or zero percent. And neither of us are, are there. So I think that, you know, we might uh, I might say that 25 percent seems good to me. You might say that the current 21 percent is OK, but we're not. Neither of us is talking about anything crazy, essentially.
0: Right, right. I mean, to me, the other thing that one of the big factors you have to look at is, where's everybody else? And yeah. what are the chances that, that companies will pick up and move?
1: Exactly. And that's where I got uh, 25 that's, from. that's what the, yeah.
0: the big problem we had, in and, and your
1: sense, and is
0: that that magic number is, is somewhere around uh, 25, that uh, for that extra 4% that you might get in Ireland, it's not worth making the move, Um and and that may be the case. It may not be the case. We'll just have to wait and wait and see. Well, but.
1: I think another factor is you have to look at at the cost of borrowing, because right now interest rates, I think, for 10 year treasuries around one point six percent, which is by historical standards, just insanely low. And so then I think when when interest rates are that low, you have to think, does it make more sense? To borrow that money instead of increase taxes, because if you assume that this that, that the economic growth from this in, these investments that we're borrowing for is greater than one point six percent, well, then it would be dumb not to borrow the money. Right. I mean, so and I think you could possibly make that case. That depending on what we're investing the money in, that the potential economic growth could, you know, could essentially even that out. And it would make more sense to pay for certain infrastructure projects through borrowing than for raising taxes.
0: Um, I would I would say, yeah, that's that's a possibility. Um, What you always run into is uh, is the growth from that government investment. um, What uh, what you think it's going to be? Yeah. Uh, right and then we look bit. back to, to 2008 uh and all the the shovel ready projects and so forth um and and what you ended up with was was Cylindra um, Well no no and to be fair that, that look, was I, no, I, no that I, was, know, I know I know that's that's simplifying it but look the, the, the shovel ready product and so forth weren't there. They just, you know,
1: well, there's no such thing. I mean, there's just, yeah, yeah. I I hate that term because it's, it's, uh, it's misleading, right? Shovel ready means if you're lucky six months, you know, and that would be incredibly quick. And so I think when we're talking about, yeah. yeah, So when we're talking about infrastructure spending, we're not talking about short term economic stimulus. This is stuff where we're looking down the road a decade or two decades or something like that. And, uh, and certainly in terms of startup, you know, uh, a year or more. So if you, for short term economic stimulus, infrastructure is not really the way to go. I think you would agree with me. Yeah. 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 But what do you think in general? I mean, uh, are, are there parts of this that you like? Because obviously, if you were in the Senate, you would vote against this because you would say it's too much and it raises taxes too much to pay for it. But are there parts of it that you that you think are a good idea?
0: Yeah, no, like I'm, I'm okay with a lot of this transportation, uh, infrastructure to the extent that we're talking about fixing roads and fixing bridges. Uh, I think the broadband expansion is, is good and helpful. And that is the kind of investment, uh, that will, will benefit, uh, you'll, you'll see benefits across the board for a whole lot of people, a whole lot of industries. Um, so that I'm okay with, uh, some of the building, uh fix ups, uh that will make uh buildings more energy efficient yeah i'm okay with with all that is do we need uh two hundred eighty six billion i i don't know i i couldn't tell you for sure that that seems high but um those those categories are, are things i think that that make sense and are things that typically uh, you have bipartisan support for um i'm 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 more concerned with the things that seem to be you know for again the the uh uh, three hundred billion that seems to be uh you know for semiconductors and and that that seem industry targeted, right? Uh that strike me as much more as this is this is a uh that's pretty swampy, right? It's it's uh, government picking winners and losers and um those those are the ones that uh, I have the bigger issues with.
1: So then I, on that particular issue, government picking winners and losers, then you obviously would not – I mean you mentioned you're, you're not crazy about the, for instance, uh, subsidies for electric vehicles and that sort of thing. Then by the same token, you might actually be okay with removing the subsidies for uh, fossil fuel companies. I, I mean – Sure. Same, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's, I've been there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wanted to point it out because I, I knew that's where you were. And so I, I thought that's important to point out that you are, uh, you are consistent on, on that issue. I, I get where you're coming from on that because the tax code is all about government picking winners and losers or trying to promote certain behaviors and, you know, discourage others. And, uh, To a certain extent, I think that's inevitable and okay, but it certainly can go too far. I think it's oversimplifying to say government should never do that and can never do that. But uh, that I mean, that's sort of a extreme libertarian type of position, which I don't think. Well,
0: and also I think it does come back to a this is a more meta kind of view of it. Yeah. Um, But in terms of of trust in government and and so forth and just the general honesty of uh, are these things infrastructure? Yeah. yeah, Some of them are, but but a lot of it isn't. And I think that's uh, some people just bristle uh, like like me. And I think to some extent you.
1: Oh, yeah. I I, I mean, I I totally agree. In in a better world. uh, I mean, what's happening here is that the process is dictating the substance. And I I hate that. That's 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 totally backwards. Right. I mean, in a better world, we would this would be probably three or four or maybe even half a dozen separate smaller bills that would be digestible and focused on one topic, but that's not how legislation works anymore these days. And it's because of it's because of the process, because of this ridiculous reconciliation thing. It's because of the polarization that we get these massive mega bills that I think, you know, both of us agree are, are not not really the way governing should happen.
0: Yeah. But you know, here's here's the thing. If if these were broken up into smaller pieces, uh look, I think Biden could get the uh, ten vote the ten Republican votes he needs for the bridges and roads, I think he could get the ten Republican votes he needs for the um broadband uh you know the, all those things but um it's it's not to anyone 's political advantage to play it that way at this point
1: yeah I, I mean i I think he could maybe get four or five, but I do not think he could get ten senators to go on. I think that the the incentives are too great. Given the how close the Senate is, they're, they're too great to just say we're not going to give the other party any sort of victory. We're going to stand together. And, yeah, you have your you have your Mitt Romney's and your Susan Collins's and their brand sort of is a little bit of independence. But I don't think there I don't think there are 10 people, uh, 10 Republicans. I, I don't know that there'd be 10 not Democrats. The whole package, but I'm saying I think you could get 10 if,
0: for for breaking into pieces.
1: Yeah, I, I, I disagree. I disagree. You're, yeah, you know, you're usually the cynic, right? Uh, I would yeah. say you're the one being the much more optimistic here. I don't think that's the case. And I think that's why they're doing it. That's why they're doing it that way. But I, I do believe that this will. This will pass in some way, shape or form. I think there will be some, you know, some significant changes. It won't end up being as big because there are a few centrist Democrats that have to be convinced, but uh, there will be an infrastructure bill that will, that will pass. Um, do you, would you agree with that? You think that's gonna yeah, happen? no, absolutely. Yeah. There will yeah, something's yeah gonna pass. And there's going to be a lot of good stuff in it. So there you go. Yeah and bad stuff all right so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so no moving on before uh, we do move on jay uh let's just take one minute for a quick break and then we will come back and talk about uh the reaction to the georgia voter law
0: so our next story is the reaction uh to georgia's uh changes in its voting law uh just yesterday, uh, Major League Baseball uh, announced that uh, it will not be having the All Star Game in Atlanta. Uh, <clears throat> also, CEOs of uh, Coca Cola and uh, Delta have made statements uh, that saying that the the voting law, um, which let, let's be clear, expands voting, uh, is is inconsistent with, with their uh, uh, does not match and uh, Delta's values. It's unacceptable. Um, this follows uh, Joe Biden going on ESPN uh, about a week ago saying that uh, this voting bill, which again expands voting, um, uh, was Jim Crow on steroids and uh, says, you know, look, you can't vote after five o'clock, which was the the Washington Post uh, awarded a uh, four Pinocchios usually reserved uh, to Trump uh, for that statement. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, Mike i said a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this woke uh, corporatism and and so forth and i i think i said something to the effect that uh corporations will always roll over um and and i think i'm i'm getting borne out here
1: well i'll i'll say two things in reaction to that first while it is correct as you pointed out to say that it expands the law expands voting it expands it in 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 person uh, at the polls voting but it actually does restrict other types of voting so it's sort of a mixed bag but it is Well fair-
0: let me let me no let me just add in on that Th- something else that it does is that it authorized uh voting drop boxes which for the first time uh you can vote and, and drop it off at, at uh, drop boxes at, at boards of elections uh 3 weeks before uh it uh had no no cause uh well- mail in uh mail voting um the the big the big sticking point was uh requiring signatures on these these mail-in ballots um so uh, you know well, anyway i i and I, I'm, I'm this this is something i am kind of passionate about because i think it's sort of the 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 height of of demagoguery uh that that uh, Biden and a lot of the folks uh, on the the left have have gone around saying this is Jim Crow uh when it it absolutely uh, positively isn't well, the, the, uh, and, the, and and, you know, and the, really trying to trying to raise up uh, racial tensions and and, and tell uh, folks that people are trying to steal your vote. Um, that's I, I think that's abominable.
1: I, I think I think certainly there's there's an element of hyperbole. But for instance, on the Dropbox uh, thing, the the provision in there, while it does allow for at least one Dropbox, it also limits them. Uh, To the extent, well, in in large urban areas, for instance, according to under the new rules, uh, Fulton County, which is uh, the the county that contains the Atlanta metro area, under these new rules, they go from the 38 drop boxes they had in the last election to uh, eight in future elections. That's a big change. Uh, Or the other rule that really focused on Fulton County, not by name, but that uh, said that they, they cannot have the mobile voting van or vehicle, basically, And there's no, there's no indication right. that that is at all. on so, so there, there are a number of provisions, but how's that racist? Because it targets large urban minority population areas. That's how it's, that's how it seems being racist. And now I'm not Again, saying,
0: how is it, how is it racist? That's, that's what,
1: because when you make what, it harder, called? when you, when you pass, when you create legislation that seems to make it more difficult, for largely minority population areas to vote, that's going to be seen as racist, even if the intent is really just to make it more Republican voting, because, of course, there's a strong there's a strong correlation between you know race, at least in, in terms of black voters and support for the Democratic Party. And so even if I'm willing to give most Georgia legislators the benefit of the doubt and say, they're not doing this for racist motives. And I can't, uh, I, I, you know, I can't look into their hearts. Obviously I can say, I I feel confident in saying that they are doing it for partisan. A lot of other people
0: have, have, have the confidence that they can look into their hearts. Right. I I mean, the president is, is, yeah. I,
1: I know, I know that I can't, uh, certainly I believe that there are races in the world and I know that some of them serve in legislatures and some of them are probably governors and, you know, some may even be presidents of the United States at times, but, uh, I think that it's pretty clear that this ends up creating more difficulties for large urban areas that actually provided the margin of victory for, for instance, uh, Joe Biden in 2020 or the two Georgia senators who won in the runoff election. So it's hard not to connect those dots when all of this seems to happen so closely together, especially. And so that's that's how I think people reach that conclusion. And it's not an unreasonable conclusion to reach in my mind. So I guess where are you then on on
0: corporations uh, weighing into this? Well, Um, and that's because that seems that that's the second piece of this. And to me, almost the the more the more problematic. um,
1: I think that's uh, a you know, I think it's telling. That when this actually was going through the process, these corporations were silenced. They said they were doing stuff behind the scenes and so forth. But in in some
0: cases, they were actually uh, applauded it.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, this after the fact thing is clearly a response to, you know, pressure from various groups. And I I don't see it as rolling over. I see it as just, you know, a, a PR kind of covering their backsides effort. They want to appeal to. Everyone, they certainly were concerned about, to a certain extent, I think, what the legislature could do to them. At least some of them were saying that. But so, yeah, I don't think it's rolling (laughs) over. over. And and, and that I think is. is How is it rolling over? It's it's making a statement that's going to have no effect on the actual legislation. It's not like it's not like the Georgia legislature is going to say, oh, Coca-Cola and the Atlanta Falcons and, uh, you know, uh, these other Delta, they don't like this. Well, let's change the law.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. no I think I think you I think you're missing the game here. OK. The game isn't Georgia. Georgia is the game is House Bill one and the filibuster. Well, I'm so OK with that. This, then. Is, <laughs> this is why. And, and to me, this this is why uh, uh, the president and Democrats have made such a big deal about Georgia is. They need an issue to nuke the filibuster, and they want to be able to claim that states are rolling back voting rights. This is Jim Crow on steroids, which, which I, again, those those type of statements I think are so patently false. And then, and you and go on TV and and say, I think Major League Baseball should uh, pull the uh, All Star Game. The President of the United States says this, I agree. Uh, and then and then MLB says, you okay."
1: Um, Well, I gotta say I agree, especially because again, under the argument that I or the scenario I sketched out, which it seems to me that this law, while you're right in terms of expanding voting in some areas, it seems to me it's a it's a reasonable reading to say that it actually contracts it in some ways, especially in large minority population. Urban areas, and given that this was this year, uh, Major League Baseball was going to be celebrating the career of Hank Aaron, who who died this year, and who faced horrific racism when he was on yes. the verge of breaking yes. Babe Ruth's home run record, doing so in a state where a number of people can reach, I believe, the reasonable conclusion that the state legislature has targeted black populations maybe not because they're black per se but because they vote for democrats still uh i think that's a i think that's a reasonable stance i applaud what major league baseball did and i think i I think it's a great idea
0: yeah i i love baseball and and this is i mean baseball's breaking my heart the last couple years but um but, but let's talk about that also in terms of you know the Georgia law is more permissive than New York's, right? It's more permissive, I believe, than Ohio's. Um, if you know the racism the Hank Aaron um, uh, encountered, the racism of the the, the the people who fought for the Voting Rights Act, you know dogs dogs and and fire hoses uh, encountered, uh, and they fought and they they voted, and now we're going to say that that is worse then um well you have to sign your absentee ballot
1: no and i i agree let me be I mean, clear that, that, i that's... agree with you totally on that i i agree that this is not worse than jim crow and and but again let's go back when you know well let me let me know let me just go a little bit further okay
0: for the purposes of of a country that has been torn by uh these racial issues for the past year i mean more than more than that obviously but come to the forefront uh in the last year uh isn't it sort of incumbent on leadership both in the political world and in the business world to not go around throwing gas on the fire
1: but on the other and hand isn't
0: this that that gas and, and isn't that when joe biden says this and uh these ceos then say yes yes this is terrible this is horrible it's not in keeping with our values like 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 delta has values about uh how many drop boxes there are. Uh, I mean, it's, and again, keep in mind that any mailbox is a drop box. Um, uh, you vote, I mean, again, to me, it, it, it just strikes me as, as this is over the top demagoguery. And, um, if but, someone can point out to me how exactly, uh, this is racist, I, I would love to, to hear it or how it's even close to anything, uh, that went on in the Jim Crow era. Uh, I, I'd like to.
1: Hear I agree that the hyperbole, there's hyperbole here. I certainly, if I were president of the United States, I would not have called it Jim Crow on steroids. I would have said something like that I was troubled by the ways in which it seems to restrict voting in those communities, just like I said a few minutes ago. But I also just want to, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems to me that during the Trump presidency, more than a few times, you endorsed the idea of taking Donald Trump seriously, but not literally. And you have to understand the hyperbole is just kind of how he does things. I'm wondering if there's, it seems to me that you're maybe much more upset when a democratic president does it than when a Republican president, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I want to, and so maybe you can clarify that
0: for me. Well, two things. One, uh, if I was, Let's put it this way. If I was uh, wrong about Donald Trump uh, then, then I'm, I'm I suppose I'm right now. But uh, the, the difference is that uh, people are taking Biden seriously and most people didn't take Trump seriously. Uh, for example, Biden is making these crazy uh, hyperbole type statements or lies might be another word. Um, and and you have major corporations acting on them uh you have uh the entire uh well, not the entire but a a large part of uh congress pushing this narrative so that uh they have justification to try to override the the, the uh, uh filibuster rule um so i, I think it's the, that's the problem is people uh yeah it's it's not even a matter of taking him literally or seriously if you just take uh, biden seriously um then then uh what he's saying is a big problem. I guess the other issue the difference I guess I it's put between Trump and Biden is, is a lot of Trump stuff was um sort of self-reflective, right? This is uh, look, I'm the best president ever. Many people are telling me this. This is the greatest plan ever. Uh it's 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 super what well, the Democrats have, it's it's terrible. It's very bad. Um it's it's not of the the same it is um uh, what you call in the law puffery, right? That you can you can say things like, "Hey, this is the this car is is the best ever. Uh, it gets uh, great mileage," uh, but you can't lie about the actual numbers. Um, in this case, look and again, going back to the uh, Joe Biden, you were not going to let you vote after five o'clock. That is out and out false. Now yeah. maybe he was just confused,
1: but. Yeah, that was wrong. And that and we should call out lies. I agree. And certainly we don't want to get into a you know comparison of Biden's lies at this point to or for misstatements. And, and let's, and let's, yeah, let, let,
0: yeah, we can even stipulate that Trump lied about all this stuff. Uh, and if you want to say I'm being hypocritical uh, in calling Biden out, out now and not calling Trump out now, OK, fair enough. But but that doesn't make Biden right.
1: No, no. And certainly I just wanted to I just wanted to get some clarification on that. So, yeah, I I just yeah, I was just wondering about that particular. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I I think that you're right in the sense that this is trying to send a message. To, and there are other states that are looking at to pass laws similar to this, I mean, Texas, uh, uh, Florida, I believe, some other states. And I think that is sending a message. And, you know, I'm OK with that because I think that consumers and I think that corporations, you know, they, they certainly have every right to express their views and to use their economic clout to try to enact social change. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I guess I'm wondering if you do.
0: Oh, I, I, uh, I. My concern is when corporations begin to be essentially another arm of the government. Well, how are they, they being another? They, I mean, I they already so, are
1: in terms of their campaign financing and so forth. They, but well, I, I,
0: and I think you've got a point there. Um, but to the extent that, um, the government can can enforce, uh, its will through corporate decisions, and then say, oh, hey, it's a, it's a private company; they can do what they want um uh and but at the same time they're saying uh hey uh nice company you got here uh, hope nobody comes along and regulates it right um which i i point out is exactly what elizabeth warren said to to uh, amazon last week right it's sort of, of of a piece here that uh amazon tweets had been um uh critical of her and and she tweeted back saying uh, that you know, she may use her power to break up companies so they wouldn't be powerful enough to heckle senators. Yeah, that
1: was ridiculous. Sure,
0: yeah. But but it's it's the same sort of same sort of thing of, uh, look, you haul in all these these tech company folks uh, before Congress and you browbeat them and say, uh, look, we we hear there's a lot of misinformation going on around there. You guys better knock it off or something might happen. Uh, and then um, you have companies that that take steps to. Censor. Now, now again, um, I haven't seen any Facebook warnings on the Joe Biden statements about uh, worse than Jim Crow uh, or the 5 p.m. voting thing. It's apparently they've they've overlooked that. Um, <clears throat> but when you do that, and then there says, "Hey, look, it's you know Zuckerberg's uh, platform has rules." Um, that's that's problematic when the government is is essentially surreptitiously governing by bullying corporations. Um, that's that's a big problem. And it used to be, I think, if these these corporate CEOs had a backbone, they could say something like, listen, uh, we'll leave the voting laws of Georgia to the people of Georgia.
1: But if but if you believe that corporations, just like individuals, have free speech rights. Well, they do. You wouldn't yeah. want to you wouldn't want to say to them, well, you shouldn't be sad. I mean. You can maybe say, I don't think it's wise, but you're not saying that they don't have the right to do that or that they maybe no, no, like no, baseball. No,
0: absolutely. They have the right. Uh, I'm questioning how free is their speech, right? When you have uh, if they're if they're speaking under compulsion of, of a government that says, hey, um, look, we'd we'd really like you to issue some statements, uh, you know, viewing things our way uh, uh, if you know what's good for you. Uh, is that free speech?
1: Well, but uh, but in that sense, I mean, corporations, of course, they're they're ultimately designed to maximize profit. And so if they feel that they're, they're getting pressure that's going to hurt sales, well, then they are going to respond. And so in a sense, that speech is compelled, just like their product offerings are compelled because their, their fundamental goal isn't to advance social justice, it's to sell airplane tickets or, or, or soft drinks or something like that. And so if right, they right. think that something is going to advance that interest, they'll do it. But on the other hand, if they feel like they're going to get too much blowback from, say, I don't know, like employing a very qualified quarterback who would kneels during the national anthem. Well, they won't do that. So, you know, I I don't see that there's much of an issue. Of course, it's compelled speech in that sense. Well, the
0: the blowback, though, I think in so much of the compulsion comes from political leaders who make these statements. Right. When when uh, AOC goes goes out and says, hey, boycott Goya beans. Because uh, their their uh, CEO accepted uh, an award from Trump, um, that's that's something different, right? When you have when you have the government involving itself and trying to stir up this this type of um, uh, well, that's
1: not the government, though. That's not legislation. That's not an executive order. Joe Joe Biden works for the government. Joe Biden went on ESPN but and just, said, "Well, yeah, I but, want I want Major League Baseball to pull." the all-star game. And so so you're saying that once once you are an elected official, you can have no personal opinions or you can't express them. Your first sure, amendment you rights are but Don't you
0: think but uh, doesn't it strike you as being uh overly I mean w- when in history have 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 we had this of a president going and telling a company, "Look, I think you should move your your whatever." Uh, because I don't like uh, a voting law of a particular state.
1: I mean, I'm not and maybe not that specific example, but certainly President Trump said all kinds of things, made all kinds of threats to companies and presidents do this this kind of thing all the time. Political figures try to use their you know bully pulpit to try to get things to, done that they can't necessarily do legislatively. And that's just that's just how politics and and power work. And that's I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't see yeah, it. As yeah, there is. Yeah, there I, I is. totally the, disagree. The idea, the idea. If AOC to wants want, to say, "I will
0: take official action against you,"
1: that's that's different, though. That's a different thing. Official action is one thing, and just speaking as a speaking as a human being, as a person, saying, "I think this is what this group should do," though I will not in any way compel it. That's uh, why shouldn't we allow? I mean, uh, why would you? So here's here's a, here's a good
0: question, though. Uh, where can the All Star Game go? Because if they come to Ohio. Um, For example, um, we only allow one drop box per county. Uh, That would seem to eliminate us. Uh, uh, New York doesn't allow as many weeks for early voting that ought to eliminate them. Uh, uh, Plainly is, you know, Jim Crow racists. Um, What I mean, that's this is this is why I think when you come down to this issue is so ridiculous in and of itself that um, it's just it's demagoguery. Right.
1: Well, I, I, I. I disagree. I don't think it's demagoguery. I think it's just, you know, I think it's just an attempt to try to move or to force change uh, by, you know, by various means that are not governmental action. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's sort of, you know, the the system at work. And I'm OK with that.
0: All right. All right. Well, I will I will leave it. You know, I will leave it, Mike, with with my with my statement that I often make and repeat is one day they'll come for you. Um, but. <laughs>
1: Right. Um, you know, before we Jay, get to our next story, I'm going to just take one more break and then we will be right back. OK, Jay, so, you know, with March Madness, the final four upon us, I thought it would be it was sort of it was sort of uh, opportune. Right. To talk about yeah. a case that the Supreme Court heard this week.
0: Yeah. So and, and again, we'll say this, this differs a little bit from our typical practice of usually we don't. Hit real hard on, on Supreme Court cases uh, until there's a decision to talk about. Uh, but in this case, uh, the court heard arguments on uh, NCAA versus Alston, uh, which deals with um, whether or not uh, colleges uh, essentially could. Whether let me let me say this correctly <laughs> um, whether whether uh, the NCAA uh, could restrict eligibility and compensation. Uh, for student athletes, and whether that violates federal uh, antitrust laws, uh, by because it would bar athletes from receiving essentially fair market compensation for their labor. Uh, so now, the the um, uh, Seth Waxman, uh, who's represented the NCAA, uh, argued that you know college uh, sports are, have a distinct character uh, that is is different than uh, that, and that colleges are essentially um, still educational institutions. And that's why amateurism is, is important. Uh, and, uh, uh, that, that you can't, um, you know, compare this to, to offering, um, uh, you know, pro pro athletes. Um, so, uh, Clarence Thomas criticized, uh, him saying that, listen, it's, it's odd, odd that you can say that, um, This is really amateur sports, uh, considering the the amount of money that goes into them, both both uh, from the the institutions themselves and and the amount of money they generate uh, in society uh, uh, generally. Um, So, Mike, what are what are your thoughts? You are a a, uh, uh, as a, a college professor, although you're not necessarily a a, a athletic powerhouse at NKU, although NKU
1: NKU was in the, NKU got in the tournament a couple years ago, right? It it is a division one school, Uh, but you know, right now, obviously we're talking about this during the tournament that brings in somewhere around $800 million in revenue to the NCAA. And uh, if you take a look at, for instance, the list of the highest paid public employee in every state, in something like 40 states, it football is a, coach. Yeah, a football or basketball coach, right? So uh, the NCAA has been hiding behind this this sort of amateur student-athlete sort of thing for a long time. And, it, you know, in certain instances, it's true. As a professor, I've seen a lot of student-athletes, you know, and many of them actually are student-athletes. But also, you know, for a while, I, I got my, uh, as, as you know, I got my Ph.D. at the University of Kentucky. And for a while there as a graduate assistant, I, I taught some classes and I had some basketball players in classes. And that's a whole different world, certainly basketball, say, at UK, as opposed to, say, track and field at Northern right. Kentucky University. And I think that it's interesting to see sort of the cross-cutting uh breakdown on this for instance you have justice kavanaugh saying the antitrust law shouldn't be a cover for exploitation of the student athletes right or justice kagan saying that you have schools that have you know uh the ncaa has this undisputed market power and they're going to use it to fix athletic salaries at extremely low levels and i think that's absolutely going on and the ncaa is just saying well that's okay because they're they're amateurs but yeah But the fact of the matter is, is these are kids who are putting in like, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week on on their sport. These are kids who are being told to not take certain classes because they're too hard or not take certain majors because they're too hard and that are being carefully selected into certain classes and majors and programs with no real idea toward what they are interested in doing or their academic advancement, but what will best allow them to have the most time for their athletics. So to call them student athletes is always sort of rankled at least, you know, especially in the big time football and and basketball programs, because I think that's a sham. And I think the justices recognize that.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right that this is a weird um, case and that there's no, there's no ideological breakdown on this, um, and and I, I I'm I myself am you know sort of torn, um, in that you know part of me is a traditionalist right, and and you ought to think and there's this idea that look colleges are for kids to get an education and and sports are essentially an extracurricular activity. Um that is something that is meant to help broaden you know students and and give them uh an outlet and and so forth but y- the traditional view is is you don't go uh to major in a sport you go to major in some academic uh discipline um, that conflicts with the other part of my brain that that is pretty market oriented um that <laughs> points out exactly as you did look. These these kids are essentially college employees. They're working uh for the college. They're generating a whole lot of money for the college. Uh uh certainly they're they're getting some support in some cases, uh, in, in terms of scholarship money. That depends on, you know, where you fall in the you know, different college divisions and so forth. Um but
1: yeah, is it is it fair that they're just not being paid? Um, And to be clear, this case is not about paying them a salary, it's about expanding their academic benefits. So it's not, not saying, well, they should get, you know... Uh, money directly for this although there are people who have I get it indirectly yeah yeah there, there are people who have suggested that uh for instance uh cory booker has this college athlete bill of rights which would include things like uh in part revenue sharing uh well, it's like it's got unionization and stuff too yeah well it? uh health care related to injuries and uh, uh scholarships for the time needed to complete their degree and i think when you think about what happens to a lot of these kids especially the ones who are essentially majoring in their sport especially the sports where they believe that they have the potential to have a future in you know uh the NFL or the NBA which are the two big ones where the you know colleges are essentially a de facto minor leagues for that that a lot of these kids are sort of used up and, and thrown away and they don't get an education and they end up with these injuries and so forth. And, and I think it's, I think it's horrendous the way that that's done because there's just not enough slot, you know slots in the, in the major leagues or in, in the NFL yeah. for these people. And so I, I do think they're being abused and I think, I think that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I
0: mean, I guess the, the, the issue turn then, then you go to the legal issue of, okay, does this violate the antitrust yeah. statutes? And that's, that's a little, that gets even a little trickier, right? I mean, I think we can, we can argue on the, uh, moral ground policy ground, uh, is, is the current situation necessarily an antitrust violation. I think that's what the court's going to, going to be looking at. I have, I have no prediction at all how this is going to, uh, going to come out, but, um,
1: I feel uh, I mean, like I, I think you probably agree that the best solution of this would be some sort of legislation, as opposed to a court deciding this.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that is that is always my default position. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: it seems to me that the NCAA certainly is not jumping, uh, jumping at the opportunity to craft some sort of alternative, right? Because they wanna they wanna ideally keep on paying the athletes nothing and and taking all this money in for themselves. But I think you can envision at least for for the the two major sports, right, men's uh, uh, men's basketball and football, some sort of like. Uh, situation where you have a salary cap and you know, basically like it's done in the professional sports essentially. So yeah. that, that way smaller division one schools can still compete with the larger schools, just like in the NFL, for instance, Green Bay can compete with New York because, you know, because of those, those uh, salary cap rules and things like that. And it's not crazy to envision a system like that for college athletes. I don't think.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. And I mean, yes, and no, but you're still not going to have, I mean, Baldwin-Wallace is still not going to compete with Ohio State. Well,
1: because it's, div- it's not Division One, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, you still have these divisions. But it's certainly you can see where, uh, y- you know, where you don't want a situation where just a few schools are dominating everything like, like the Ohio States of the world because they have all of that massive – the amount of money they can offer that sort of thing, which is the exact same reason why you have, you know, salary caps in baseball so the Yankees can't get all of the best players every year or, you know, you know the Lakers or what have you.
0: Yeah, I guess then my my other concern is, I mean, to what extent um, is it worthwhile maintaining the fiction that that colleges uh, are are really care about these the education of of these kids? Right. I mean, that's sort of. um, I guess that
1: and, and you know, it's not just I got to say, it's not just the football and basketball that's in, that's where we think about it but again i've you know as a professor i've had to stu- plenty of students i've been advisor to a number of students who were athletes in the non-prestige sports tennis track like i said that sort of thing and the the hours that they put in I, you, their schedules oh, yeah. are, are unreal between their training sessions and their time in the weight room and this other stuff they're falling asleep in classes because it's just I, and this is at like i said a Northern Kentucky University, a school that's not, we're not talking Ohio State or anything like that. It's a brutal schedule for these kids to keep up. And I don't think a lot of people who haven't been involved in some way in college athletics, Division One college athletics, realize what an incredible strain it is on these kids just full stop in any of these sports. Yeah. And that's the yeah, main no. thing is we need to look at this not from the i would say the economic perspective, but what are we doing to these kids are we are we ensuring that they haven't they have the same opportunity to get an education that the non athlete does, which is why I would I would like to see a system where the scholarship in a way is not necessarily linked to the amount of time that they're playing the sport. So that way, you know, if it takes you six or seven years to get your degree because you were taking all this time to play a sport and you couldn't take a right. full load or something, that, that should be okay, I think. Right. Or there should be some sort of way to, to deal with that. You shouldn't have But, but to- much
0: more often you see, you see the, the other way around of the, the student leaves school to enter the pros early.
1: Yeah. Well, at least some of them do, right? Yeah, I mean, those most of them yeah. don't. Yeah. So, and I, that's, that's my, that's where I come off on this is that there are just a lot of kids who are being fed a bill, a bill of goods who are being mistreated and that's, that's not okay. And that should change. Yeah, no,
0: I, I agree with you on, uh, pretty much all those, all those points.
1: Okay. Well, you know, Jay, we haven't done recommendations in a while. I thought it would be fun to kind of close out by doing that for the first time in a, in a long time. What do, what do you think? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I've got anything. Let me, let me think. So you go first. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I will make well, – I don't think I've recommended this before. It's hard. You know, you get older and it's like, did I say this before? Anyway, but my recommendation this week is a movie, an old movie, a movie called Network. I don't know if you've ever seen this, Jay, Network. I have seen Network. It could possibly be what's well, right up there with Apocalypse Now as being maybe my favorite movie of all time. So maybe be a double recommendation if you haven't seen either of those movies. My God! Can, gosh, I, can I interrupt and say I watched Apocalypse Now last night. But go ahead. Really? Did you?
0: It was yeah. I was on just a random sort of old movie
1: channel. It but go is ahead. Definitely. Well, anyway, one of my favorite movies of all time. But Network really, I, I show it whenever I can in classes because even though it's from 1976, it, it's prescient. and it, it so speaks to uh, today's world even more so in some ways about the craziness of media and and the public and and it's just i i won't even try to to summarize it but i i see a lot of I see a lot of it, at least the positive aspects of the lead character Howard Beale in myself, in some ways, not the insane parts of him. <laughs> I hope, but it is a great movie, uh, and I strongly recommend you check it out. It's well, well worth your time. So that's my recommendation. Network and also Apocalypse Now, which Jay just saw uh, last night, uh, apparently. So. I, I
0: should, I should, I should put the caveat. I I fell asleep. I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't stay up for the whole thing. I can still um, quote
1: big parts of Apocalypse Now uh, because I've seen it so many times anyway <laughs>
0: um, but yeah um, oh gosh can i pass on, on recommendations this week because i'm i am um I, you know I, last week I, I mentioned in passing and maybe this is i can make this my recommendation the uh netflix documentary on the uh, college admission scandal mm-hmm. um because it goes to a lot of what we were just talking about um in terms of, of how colleges operate and take advantage of, of people, uh, both students and parents. Um, and it's really, like I said, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's, it's like, I mean, it'll make you incredibly angry. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's, and the other, um, thing, this was something I was going to recommend a while ago. um, Oh gosh, no! I'm forgetting the name of the actor. I'll tell you what. Um, that that would just be my recommendation for for this. This week is right. the uh, college admission uh, scandal program. OK, I'll hit you up with another one next time. Sounds
1: good. And, you know, before we go, I should point out that, as usual, there were some things that we didn't get a chance to talk about this week that we will be talking about on our bonus show. For instance, vaccine passports. Uh, big It's been a big deal recently. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a, a pretty interesting case that was just decided by the Sixth Circuit here in our general area right here in my backyard. I can't exactly throw a stone and hit the courthouse, but uh, I could certainly drive there in a couple minutes about uh, the use of, of uh, I guess you could say someone's preferred pronoun in a college classroom setting and whether or not that creates a hostile environment. Pretty interesting case there that, and maybe some listener questions, a few listener questions if we have the opportunity to get to those. And if you are a Patreon supporter, that will be in your feed Wednesday morning. And if you're not, You can be one by just going to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And again, if you'd like to get that and you cannot afford to be a supporter, just send me an email. Mike at politicsguys.com and I will make that happen. One thing that doesn't cost you anything that really helps us out is if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share episodes on social media, or however you share stuff, that's a big help. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, we're at, at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll find links in our show notes. And a special thanks to our executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.